listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Brandon and talking about the long journey that Brandon's having to begin adoption. Hiya, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see if you still think it's lovely at the end. <laughs> so um, thank you ever so much. I know that you've had a really long journey to really even get off the starting blocks with adoption. Do you want to take me back right to the start when you decided that adoption might be an option for you and how those conversations went? Yeah, so we and uh, me and my partner met um, five years ago. And uh, uh, adoption discussions were uh, awkwardly first first topics in our in our dates, but they didn't feel awkward at all for us. So uh, we kind of always knew that uh, adoption was going to be uh, the right the right thing for us. Um, we haven't really explored in depth any any other other options for uh, us to build a family, our own family, and uh, uh, we are both. Italian, so we come from uh, uh, a different country, and we moved to uh, UK at different stages. Uh, I've personally been in UK for almost seven years, and uh, uh, we uh, began uh, talks and alongside talks, uh, gaining information from uh, around us. Um, my partner has personal experience in. With adoption, as uh, he's um, uh, he has a, a brother that uh, has been adopted himself, uh, but we're talking about a completely different system. Talking about um, adoption in uh, early early nineties in uh, in Italy, uh, so um, we 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 then found out that there's very little that can be comparable to the adoption process in UK nowadays. So pulling things together uh, or trying to pull things together uh, to get to uh, to begin our adoption journey. Uh, we started talking to various agencies. We uh, began in early 2021 with all the lovely spreadsheets and uh, you know, <laughs> lists. <laughs> <laughs> and lists of uh, all the agencies that were um, that are available in our area. Uh, so from the local agency to independent agencies, and uh, we uh, started attending um, information evenings. And uh, or I'm talking about evenings because they were always in the evenings. But yeah, information yeah. events, and uh, um, we kind of got a sense of which were the agencies that were more um, sounding more in line with what what we wanted to do, which was never a, a clear cut off. I know it sounds strange because those, uh, those events are pretty much all the same, um, but some personalities presenting were more appealing than others. So I guess we went with that. Uh, which didn't really matter when uh, we started asking um, and presenting our questions in really uh, formally uh, because we found uh, quite a bit of, um, we found our immigration status to be uh, an issue. So I 
I had by then uh, gained my settled status. So those early information evenings when you were sitting there and getting a feel for the different agencies, the different social workers and things, you said that you were sort of judging it a bit on the personality of the person presenting. Um, Did you feel welcome at those events? Did it feel easy to slot into those or did you feel any barriers, partly, I guess, from being a same-sex couple, but for any other reason? Well, in... Some some of those we we were the only same sex couple, but um, it didn't it didn't feel an obstacle to us, and uh, um, they were um, quite pre preset events in a way, so they were going very much by a script. Um, so there was nothing too too personal or too personalized that could uh, I guess make us feel feel not uh, uh, not welcomed. So from from that perspective, they were. There were great, great events and opportunities for for questions where uh, were there as well. Uh, wasn't so much opportunity to um, network that much yet, uh, of course, because there's uh, people that are, are just there for for really gain gain information. So, but no, yeah, that they were always they were always uh, very very welcoming. Some uh, of them, of course, might have used a language that uh, perhaps could have been a bit more inclusive, but nothing that really made us feel, oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll never go with this agency because they're too, um, that, that they're not uh, open enough to to have us as same-sex couple, no. Sure, yeah, no, I can understand that. And I think sometimes when you're in the audience of those events, you are sort of hanging off every word and looking for clues about how welcome you are and so on. I, I remember that really well. Absolutely. And- you mentioned that you were both from Italy. Was immigration status any kind of issue? Absolutely, yes, I'm afraid, yeah. The uh, pre-settled status that Pierre possessed back then, it was uh, not accepted by some of those agencies. I'm saying some of those agencies because some others instead were not very clear on what uh, advice they uh, would get from the legal team. And the sense was almost oh, this is too complicated, come back when you have a set of status. Don't, don't, don't even let us go and get the legal team involved in all this because uh, after research that we've done, that the, the legislation is not very clear. And uh, technically, uh, with the pre-set of status, we could be listed or uh, considered as prospect adopters. But yeah, no, the, the majority, if not, all of the agencies eventually made us uh, make the decision of wait for Pierre to gain his set of status before okay. commencing. So how much delay did that add for you? Well, he only gained his set of status in January uh, this wow. year. So uh, that meant that two full years have gone by. Interestingly, we, we settled for that uh, in a sense that... Uh, uh, there were other issues uh, that were being raised uh, on top of the preset of status, which were us getting married and being in the process of buying a house, which wedding got postponed uh, once, only once, <laughs> due to COVID. So that was a, a whole year delay that we had in our heads because we thought that, uh, well, we've been told that, you know, wedding is a, is a big event. Uh, and therefore, we uh, we needed to focus on that because before focusing on uh, on, on adoption fully, and I 
I learned on how to get uh, my fiery Italianity uh, <laughs> <laughs> on a side because my first reaction was, how dare you telling me what's important for me? Yes. <laughs> you know, to me, to us, the the wedding was uh, was a very simple ceremony at the end and uh, it, it was not a big event at all. Um, you know, it had, of course, its importance, but uh, it was all in the biggest scheme of things, part of the building our family's project, you know, as well as the house buying. So. Wow, so you've had to be incredibly patient through delays, some of which sound unavoidable, some of which sound like could have been, didn't need to cause a delay, really, if somebody had been determined on your behalf. But it sounds like they just weren't. So it was easier to put you on ice for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's no none of the things alone would have been probably a a, a mustn't you know <laughs> must not go for for adoption yet but in 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 the bigger picture looking at the bigger picture perhaps the uh the wait was not and the delay was not uh the worst thing that could have happened to us because we we managed to you know get uh, our wedding in and buy a house and we both now have our settled status and we taking along all the boxes, really. Excellent. That's. I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased for you. I think it must have been quite frustrating at points, but you know, that's great that you're sort of in that position now. So, have you now chosen an agency? We have, yes. And what was the deciding factor for it being them? Definitely not the first feeling. We would have. We would have chosen different agencies. Um, we had in in our spreadsheet the <laughs> agency that <laughs> the agency that we we've chosen is actually fifth or sixth. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the some some of them are not. Uh, um, some of the first ones were not uh, re, uh, accepting applications at all. Oh, okay. Uh, were you ranking them Eurovision style? Is that what you've been doing? Have you been phoning in votes from the juries abroad? <laughs> Exactly that. Exactly that. So yeah, yeah. Some some were not uh, were not ge- getting any uh, applications in, and they locked their um, their applications in in with, with no with no time scale. So they they said come back to us in six months a year. Some of them. So right. Um, uh, others gave us a uh, the option to apply only if we were uh, looking. Uh, to adopt older uh, older children or uh, children with uh, additional needs, which we wouldn't exclude, uh, but uh, it felt a bit premature to give an agency that yes, we would definitely do that if you know we we weren't sure ourselves yet. So yeah we eventually settled for the the local agency our local authority and we we were in contact with uh, um with them and they are um asking us to provide certain uh, documentation of course before we get we will get a social worker allocated and we'll officially commence stage 1 yeah gosh i bet you can't wait now after all this mm, very fidgety yes <laughs> I can understand. I felt like there were ants living in my brain while we were trying to adopt, just constantly running round and round and round with these little thought processes of, you know, oh, this, oh, this, 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 just information. And yeah, it was it was quite sort of agitated time, I guess. It, it, and I don't remember feeling relaxed during that period at all. 
it isn't a relaxed time at all for you, right? And you know what's what's been helping me is been hearing other people's stories, being through going through this process. Um, so sometimes not helping that stage one can take even so long, especially if you have to gain documents from abroad. But yes. you know that's that's another another story that <laughs> I'll uh, I'll have to we'll we we'll both have to 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 tackle when 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 it comes. Yeah, because I guess your background checks are going to take longer, aren't they, for that reason and so on. So yeah, I think it can be quite a test of patience, I guess, which isn't easy. We have so much of it now <laughs> yeah I bet you do <laughs> um and so you're still pre-stage one but it sounds like you're getting nearer and nearer to a proper start so what are you doing to kind of gain experience or gain information at the moment what practical things are you doing so we've been um going going on to informational events it's been very helpful because they were of course providing a great deal of books and resources uh, that uh, we've been able to to look at so uh, that's that's so so much to to read uh, that you know we'll, we'll probably never stop and um, I, I I personally and Pierre does as well listen to various kind of podcasts and again since since the process is so uh, is so personalized in a way it there's only so much that you can learn about the process itself you have to kind of dive in and you know take it as it comes in a way and uh, listening to to other people experiences is has been the, uh, the the greatest help and the greatest source of information uh, there's uh, t events that new family social hosts that are have been great in starting to create some uh, some links with the um with other uh, adoptive parents or prospective adoptive parents. Um, in plan, we have to, to come and volunteer at the summer camp, so. <laughs> I was just gonna try and suck you into that. In my brain, I'd already just thought, I wonder if you're down as summer camp volunteers. So you are already, that's excellent news. <laughs> we, we both are, we both are already, yes. Awesome, you'll be absolutely exhausted, but it is so much fun. So yeah, it's um, six days. And uh, the first day for volunteers is training. Um, And then the next five days, just really, really hard work. But it's such a good way of um, meeting so many families all at once and seeing kids with all different levels of need at all different stages, ranging from newly placed to kids who are now in young adulthood still come. Um, One of the kids who was there this time, you know, is now a young man. And I sort of did a double take when I saw him because it's, been you know obviously with the camp having been missed and stuff during covid i hadn't seen this child in a couple of years and this child that was little and you know was there and just hadn't recognized him just looked like a young man and was chatting to us and wow it's it's so nice to sort of see that um development in the kids and the families and stuff but also you can just use that time to talk to loads of people about what family life is like and so on and i think we had a volunteer one time who kept a diary during their volunteering as part of their approval process. So it wasn't obviously anything confidential about any of the families, but it was just their own reflections on what they were seeing and feeling around camp. And their social worker was thrilled with it because it was just this real um, journey of self-reflection and knowledge gathering about what they'd learned. But yeah, and I think it helps to give you an idea of what needs you could cope with, what needs you would be willing to cope with, 
what you wouldn't want to cope with and it just yeah I think I think when you come out of that at the far end of it you're kind of saturated in knowledge that it's quite hard to find anywhere else really so I'm so glad you're doing it we're very much looking forward for it. Let's do it. And we've uh, we we heard great stories and uh, uh, that led us to um, uh, book a week of annual leave afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good idea. It's just, oh, it's so awful. Yeah, it's so exhausting. Every time on the journey home, we leave camp, we stop at the same service station because it's about, I don't know, probably about 45 minutes from camp, the first service station. And uh, so I always get to this service station. It's like, right, first, give me pizza. Give me any kind of pizza. That's fine. And then we've just got to get back. And I'm drinking coffee and stuff. And then just to get the journey home and absolutely exhausted afterwards. But, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I hope you'll really, really enjoy it. Do you like camping? I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Pierre really, really is struggling with the idea. Okay, <laughs> say it's fine you know I know I've got so much equipment that I was used to use that's been in the shed for years yeah. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to get all the dust of it oh no oh, God, I'm so sorry, Pierre. well they can always you know there are some buildings if, if they're struggling find me, I'll find you an indoors place <laughs> it's fine it's fine and I think that what's what's also going to be uh helpful for um for, for the camping is that we we're doing some other volunteering alongside that uh, with the uh, local libraries and uh, you know learning how to um, build reports with kids that we're not emotionally attached to um, which uh, can really personally the beginning sounded very much like oh this is going to be the you know next box that I need to take it in order to to get through the process but actually it is quite a good experience it really is especially if you're doing it locally it connects you to other families and to what the um, kids world <laughs> looks like especially if you uh, like us don't have experience with previous you know um, with, with other with other kids so as you kind of embark on this process at the stage that you're at what are your What's in your mind in terms of either questions or worries, those sorts of things? Um, do, do you mean for uh, for the process? The option, yeah. Um, well, really, the the main um, the main thing that uh, gets gets me and Pierre talking on end is uh, what what are we going to say when we are going to be asked certain questions around. Our age groups or around um, uh, what kind of background or um, needs that kids might have it's that that is the the thing that I personally um, find the most challenging uh, for for myself um, you know me me and Pierre both have been talking so long uh, now about about it and we kind of have have an idea but uh again it's it, it's it's very very hard to um uh to, to 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 say yes or no definitely to to something uh of course there are there are certain things that 
you know, well, we, we can't just afford or be, uh, you know, we, we're not, we can't. And that's, uh, and that's a fact. Mm. But uh, so, so many other um, little yeses or noes that we will have to say that, I don't know, that's, that's the thing that I struggle personally the most with. Yeah, I can understand that. I think you're right. Those decisions are very hard to make in the abstract. And I've said this before on this podcast, but if when you were, you know, first dating your partner, you were asked what you would and wouldn't accept in a partner, the list might be a lot narrower than what we all do accept in a partner because we're all flawed and and complex and so on, apart from me. But um, everybody else is. But, um, you know, you might in a partner list loads and loads of qualities that you'd want and then some really minor things that you could deal with in a partner and stuff and I think it's not all that dissimilar to that really because you're having to make a list of qualities and attributes and challenges and things that you will take care of in a child that you haven't met that you're not you don't love them yet you're not connected to them yet and so it can be much harder to imagine what those things would feel like and I think there's a real balance to be struck because I do think that once you love that child, you can find resilience and strength and commitment to supporting them that you haven't felt before that because you love them and you you start to feel really passionately about about just finding finding the best path for them, you know, whatever that looks like. But I think also if a friend was saying to me, what do you do? Where do you pitch what need you can take? I think I would say to be really, really honest with yourself about what you can deal with and can't and what you want to and don't want to, because it's really fast that suddenly the social workers and so on are out of your life. And there is post-adoption support, which is available, and that can help. But I think it's worth being really realistic about what you do and don't think you can take on, because I think sometimes stuff comes up that you haven't really anticipated anyway. Um, So we chatted to a load of our members about whether their child showed any neurodivergence, any um, neurodivergence like autism or ADHD and so on. And loads of them were saying that, yes, the child does show those things, but was not diagnosed at placement. So, for example, you know, that could crop up anyway. And so if you're right the limit of what you think you can cope with before the unexpected happens... When the unexpected happens, I think you can feel a little bit tipped over the edge sometimes. So I guess, I'm not sure that's advice. I think that was more of a massive circular argument, really. But um, I suppose it's two things. One is that I think that once you love the child, there is resilience and determination and stuff that you find within that love. But I think, secondly, if if you take on something that feels like the brink of what you can practically, emotionally, financially cope with, then there really isn't much margin for error in that. So I guess for what it's worth, that rambling monologue would be my advice. <laughs> I think you, you're you so right there. And uh, and, it, and it's scary that uh, we, we've we kind of been asked already to be giving that yes or no's, you know, with, with certain with certain agencies. And and again, you, you're right. I, I wouldn't be with Pierre if, <laughs> if I... <laughs> If I had to say all the yeses and noes before, you know, yeah. <laughs> establishing a relationship with him, and we we just we just grew grew together, and certain things have have changed dramatically. And be looking back, it'd be, you know, 
I, I never did that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's true. And uh, I guess the the only thing that's um, that's helping us a lot is being honest with each other. We uh, we do complete different things in life. We have complete different approaches. Uh, here we we have different backgrounds. We have different uh, ways we've been raised. Different families, and it's all. Um, so hard but at the same time beautiful to put together in a sense let's see let's see what we can how how this mix is going to be uh able to influence what our choices will be and those choices are going to be limited as you say because there's uh, the, the 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 thing is that you can choose as much as you want but um it, it's 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 all a journey yeah, you are absolutely right about that. And it's so unknowable at the beginning, I think. And I think that if agencies are saying you can only proceed with us if you are able to take a child with these certain needs. And if you don't feel that you know the answer to that yet, all you can say is no, because you just don't know. Um, I know that lots of couples have a system where if one says no, that's an absolute veto in any particular situation. You know that it isn't necessarily about one persuading the other to go to a level they're not happy with. And so I think most couples tend to use that arrangement that if one says no, it's a no. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a, it's a tricky journey, um, but it's exciting too. And, you know, there'll be a child out there that needs your home to be their home. And that's, you know, it's hard to imagine when you've not really started yet, but, but there will be. And, you know that's that's an exciting thing. You know this this very idea was starting to drip in my head uh, last week when I was uh, uh, booking booking this volunteering courses, thinking you know they they could be out there already, isn't yeah. <laughs> that an amazing thought? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, yeah, it's it's uh, it's strange to think, isn't it, that you know your paths might cross. And then stay together forever, you know. So, oh, it's exciting stuff. Um, and are you looking for one child or siblings, or are you unsure on that? It's lift, isn't hasn't it? There, yeah. No, we're looking for group siblings. Oh, um, are you? Okay. Yes. Um, for what? Let's say that the limit is imposed by the rooms that we have in our house. Okay. So, how many rooms do you have? <laughs> we only have two extra rooms. Okay. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> so we're probably siblings. going to be two two yeah. siblings. Yes. Oh, that's it, very nice yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what about your family's support? You know, do you each have family in the UK or are you family abroad? And what do they think about the whole thing? So that is going to be a um, another interesting thing to explore with our social worker as well, because we're talking about support network. Uh, of course, we, me, me and Pierre both lost uh, our dads when we were children. So we only have... Uh, our mums and I have two younger brothers and Pierre has his old, uh, older brother mm. and uh, but they all live in Italy okay so they all there and we have an amazing support network here that's partly the uh, Italian little community that we have here in uh, <laughs> in our area that's and nice. uh, <laughs> yeah and partly is you know friends and uh being able to to currently create great connections with 
and uh, when it will come down to listing who's our uh, support network, I don't think as much as uh, my mum and Pierre's mum would want to, that probably won't be the first names because they simply yeah. don't live here. Although if that, that was to be the need, they'd be the first one, you know, <laughs> dropping in with uh, with a little luggage in a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, think that, I think it's tricky. My family live abroad as well, and um, Jackie's family lived some distance away. And so a bit like you, in an emergency, they will come. But for day-to-day support, it's not like I can think to myself, I'll drop off the child at you know, at granddad's house for two hours while I do X. There isn't that for us. So when they were younger, that was quite hard. It was quite relentless in that way because there wasn't the kind of just, I was going to say dump the child on someone for two hours, but of course I'd never phrase it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just drop them somewhere for a couple of hours. Um, and so that relentlessness was was kind of there. I think what we eventually realised is that actually other parents are really often quite happy to muck in. And that if you dare to be the first one to ask, they'll ask you back sometimes. So if you say, look, I'm really struggling because of work. Can you can you grab my child first thing in the morning and do school run for me on Thursday morning? And then a couple of weeks later, they'll say to you, can you grab my child after school on Friday? And it's just tit for tat. You know, it works out. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like there should be two different levels of, uh, if not three, <laughs> of support networkers. As you say, from a, from a practical perspective, of course, of who's closer, and uh, we'll, we'll have to have conversations with the social workers about that. <laughs> of course, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and ultimately, you know, it's this idea that we all live in the street, and in the next street are our parents, and in the other street are our siblings, and people don't tend to live like that. So, you know, it you can feel a little bit on the back foot explaining a support network that is perhaps at some distance or whatever, but ultimately you'll meet a load of people once you're parenting you know you'll be at the school gates and at all sorts of baby groups or whatever and things like that and you just build and build and build your network really quickly so I'm sure it'll yeah. all work out yeah no it doesn't it doesn't scare me that much we're quite sociable people anyway you know <laughs> I love you that you've got your Italian community around you there do you think that you would like um to teach the child or children Italian yeah you see that's uh that's been a great um mm, thing for me for me and Pierre because we uh, very strangely both agreed <laughs> on the fact that uh, we would uh, we would raise our kids as bilingual yes. um, I, I personally speak a third language because I uh, I'm, I'm half Polish but and that was thanks to my mom making me nurture that side of culture mm-hmm. sending me off for a few weeks a month yeah. uh, every year when I was a child to to learn the language so um, I, I wouldn't impose that to our kids but you know the the second language is it's something that we would uh, definitely uh nurture in uh, in our in our household which uh le- led us to have discussions around age limits as well um not that there is such a thing as an age limit but uh for languages but we we know that uh from research that we read that uh, you know there's there's certain very generic cut cut off in sense of how hard uh, it can be and how traumatizing it can be for a child to be exposed to um, all of a sudden to a household 
<laughs> that that speaks a completely different language. Sure, of course, and I, you know, I guess that if the child was English speaking, you would start with that. But we, we um, you possibly heard it. We had a podcast where the guests were talking about raising their children bilingual, and that they had faced some resistance from some of the social workers about that. But ultimately, what a massive benefit in life to be able to speak two languages, you know, fluently is is wonderful. So. Yeah. I I would never stop thanking my mum for for this gift because it's uh, uh, it, it's just priceless. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. That's really exciting. Well, I really hope that it goes well for you. I can't really believe how patient you've had to be up to this point. So I hope it goes much much more smoothly now. Um, I'm delighted that you're coming on summer camp so we can sit and have a proper cup of tea and a gossip, not just a Zoom cup of tea and a gossip. But I really hope that it sort of speeds up for you and goes really smoothly. I'm so looking forward to it. (laughs) Excellent. I'd like to thank my guest today, Brandon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook search New Family Social or One Word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next time with more guests and more tea.